As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. We are in Hebrews chapter 4, and for those who are here for the first time, we are looking at the uh, Jesus-centered spirituality. That's basically the subject we are looking at. And uh, the writer of Hebrews is uh, helping the people to whom he's writing to seriously consider the significance of Jesus. They were all believers in Jesus. But sometimes what happens is there is a doubt. The doubt is on, you know, the other things which uh, they had actually followed and uh, the place of those things in terms of this new spirituality. And uh, today we are looking at uh, chapter 4, verse 14 to chapter 7. And if possible, I will look till verse 28. Otherwise, I will look up to verse 10 of chapter 7. Now, because the reason that I am uh, stopping there is because it's a long section, uh, which goes on to chapter 8, uh, to the end of chapter 8, this particular section that I want to look at. And it's about Jesus being greater than that's particularly the emphasis of the writer of Hebrews, uh, showing how Jesus is superior and uh, superior to the angels because people were claiming, uh, you know, that they had experiences. And uh, the writer of Hebrews was saying that Jesus is greater than these angels. Secondly, uh, greater than Moses and the law and uh, because those are all very strong, important places in one's religious experience. And the chances are sometimes to uh, not think through uh, the greatness of Jesus. And that is basically what he is trying to address in this particular passage. Or in this particular book. And that's why I titled it as Jesus-Centered Spirituality. And today we look at the place of the priest. And as I was preparing, I was asking myself the question, you know, in the church today, as we have, uh, is the pastor, we hear the term pastor very often, is the pastor the priest? What do you think? Or uh, is there a role called the priest at all? Because priest is very important when we talk about religion. You know, we have, uh, you know, the house where we are now staying, our neighbor is a priest uh, in the local temple. And uh, I see him going out and uh, he opens the temple and uh, he is, is known as the priest. Now in the Christian faith, uh, we, we have pastors in the church, depends on which denomination you come from. 
but uh, do, is a pastor the priest? Because I've heard people uh, talking about the priesthood of believers and quoting that particular reference to claim more uh, role in the church in leadership. They'd say all of us are priesthood of believers. You know, Bible says we are all priests and we talk about all of us being priests and therefore claiming roles in the church. But in the church, uh, you know, is the pastor the priest? What do you think? We had a pastor in the Apostles Methodist Church uh, who uh, I think came from a different uh, background or at least a different theology. And he introduced himself uh, in the first Sunday that he came as a new pastor to say, I am your priest, you know, and, uh, and that was very unusual in the Methodist church for a pastor to introduce himself. And he says, and he said, I stand between God and you, you know, to represent. And I think he got the style right about the priest being somebody who stands between God and people. But uh, unfortunately, that is not the tradition that there was in the Methodist church. There is. And uh, so today, the reason I asked that question is that uh, the priest is a very significant uh, position or place in religion. Uh, and uh, the writer of Hebrews in this particular section, starting with verse uh, 14 of chapter 4 until the end of chapter 8 is basically showing that Jesus is greater than the priest. Now that raises major questions. That raises major questions because you know, you're touching an important role that actually defines religion. That is the role of a priest. Every religion has, they may call them different names. And uh, they have many other leaders, but those which relate to the temple or to the building and rituals is definitely a very important part of religion. And uh, so the writer of Hebrews moves to that section which has to do with the priest. And he says in verse 14 of chapter four, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So basically the writer of Hebrews doesn't uh, say that there is no such thing called priest. But he actually says that Jesus is the great high priest. Now, that raises a lot of questions, uh, which he has to address. One question, for instance, that if it, it, uh, for the Jewish audience, uh, was the fact that Jesus was definitely uh, the savior who they have believed in, and they had accepted him as the savior and they were now members of the church because of their uh, commitment to Jesus as the savior. 
then they had understood Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who they were looking forward to and who had come to establish the kingdom of God. Uh, those are terms which they were very familiar with. You know, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Messiah. And uh, the, there was still a temple in Jerusalem where the priests functioned. Uh, you know, you must remember that in the Old Testament times, the priest had function, uh, had a function only in relation to the temple. And that is why, you know, there were so many priests because they were all from the family of Levi. And uh, so all those Levites, you know, the Levi family were all priests, not all of them. Many of them would have gone into priesthood. And uh, because there were so many of them, they had to develop a kind of a roster system as to when they will actually uh, be working because there's only one temple. They did not have, you know, different temples everywhere in town. They had synagogues. And in the synagogue, the priest had no role because priest's role was related to the temple. And like Zechariah, there was a term. He came for a certain time. He performed his, uh, you know, role in offering uh, sacrifices and prayers for the people. And then when the time was over, he went back home. And uh, so like that, the priest had, was on roster system. And when they went back home, they did not have any role to play. Uh, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all these people were there. So the Jewish religious structure uh, did not have the priest as someone who was the only position of leadership. The scribes were the ones who read the scripture and interpreted the scripture and the Pharisees were the ones who ensured that the religion, uh, the laws were being kept. Sadducees, of course, were an alternate theological understanding. These were all there, but the priests themselves uh, had, they had a role in the sense they had a position. And that is why even when Jesus was arrested, he was brought to the priest's house because the priest is the one who will actually make a statement about Jesus in terms of whether he had broken the law or not. And uh, the chief priest, they brought him to the chief priest's father's house first and all those things. So the priest was a very important role. And uh, what Jesus was saying is that, what the writer of Hebrews says is, Jesus is a great high priest. He didn't say he was greater than the high priest, but actually the high priest also was not a fixed, uh, tie, you know, was not forever. They had time. So when said that, you know, during Jesus' time, they said such and such a person was the high priest and he was the son of the earlier high priest. So that means the high priest had, you know, maybe a one-year term or two-year term. And they, had, they were not permanent. They were, you know, they had the role. But here he says, Jesus is the great high priest, totally changing the imagery of the Christian faith to the writers because uh, they were having churches, they had elders, they had all those things, but they didn't have priests at all because priests had no role, you know, because they had to perform sacrifices. That was very central. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. 
And he says, so let's hold on to him. Hold on to him in our faith. Because that is the central part of the teaching of Hebrews. Is that be encouraged. Because in all that is changing, people were getting worried. And he says, no, come on. We have you know, set our eyes on Jesus. And he is our great high priest. And he, then he goes on to explain how like other high priests or other priests in general, or particularly high priests, Jesus too understood the people. Because he says in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, now Jesus say, you know, the writer of Hebrews, his main understanding, his main emphasis is that, yes, Jesus is a high priest, but because of who he is, it doesn't mean that he, he cannot understand our condition, our own situations. Perhaps, like he says, our weaknesses, because the high priest, even though they performed sacrifices, were not considered perfect. In fact, they were considered as people who understood people. Because later on, he says in verse chapter 5, verse 1, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. He says he is able to understand because he himself is subject to weakness. So he says, Jesus also, even though he was perfect without sin, he also was somebody who was tempted like us in every way. And like the high priest, he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. And he says, because the high priest knows how we humans are not perfect, he says in verse 3, that is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So he says the role of the priest is not something where somebody can usurp it and take it over and say, okay, I'm the new priest. He can't do that. It is a pre the role is something that God calls and God called Aaron and then said in the line of Aaron, all those who are priests will come from that family. So that is what it says. So he says the high priest is someone who feels the people's pain and is able to deal gently. And, uh, and because he knows that nobody is perfect, because he himself has to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. He says that is a very important role of the priest to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And he says, Jesus is our great high priest. And he goes on to say that, but there is a difference. There is a difference. He, Jesus also feels our weakness because the imagery they had of a priest was somebody 
who goes into the presence of God and acknowledges his own sins and offers a sacrifice for his sins and knowing that people are imperfect like him and therefore he's able to understand the people on whose, whose behalf he goes before God. And so when the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is a high priest, he says Jesus too feels. He also knows. But the important difference is that Jesus is not somebody who is imperfect. The priest is. And so he says, and the priest is called. It's not something that anybody can take on. And then he goes on to say, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. Just like the priest. Now, the problem why the writer of Hebrews has to go to this area is because as soon as we say, at least to the writers, you know, to the people who are from the Jewish background, as soon as he says that Jesus is a high priest, the first question that will come to their mind is that, but Jesus is not from the line of Aaron. You know, he's not from the line of Aaron. It can only be from that line. So how do you claim that Jesus is the high priest? So he says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming the high priest. But God said to him, he's quoting Psalm 110, you are my son and today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now he introduces a new factor. He says, Jesus comes in the line of Melchizedek. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to convince the people because they knew that priests should be born in the line of Aaron. And he says, Jesus is a priest. Nothing has been violated. He also has been called by God, but he comes in the order of Melchizedek. And he actually functioned as a priest, not in the temple that was in Jerusalem, but he says in his days on life on earth, he says in verse seven, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He says, Jesus too is a high priest, but he's not in the line of Aaron. He comes in the order of Melchizedek. Later on in chapter 7, he deals with that. But he said, Jesus functioned you know, as a priest, not in offering sacrifices. Later on, he talks about sacrifice. But now, he says, during his life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears. And he's not talking only about the event in Gethsemane. Jesus had a life of prayer. And he prayed for people. And a very important role, you know, the priest performed sacrifices which were symbolic 
on behalf of the people. But he said, Jesus performed sacrifices, but it was different. It was not in cow, bulls and animals and vegetables and the fruits. He said, he prayed, offered prayers and petitions. I like that verse because when we intercede, you know, because people are claiming, many times we claim, you know, they say, we claim the priesthood of believers. All of us are, you know, called to be priests. But that role is a role of intercession for people. And he says that's what Jesus did. Every time we intercede for other people, we are actually playing a very important role of being priests. There are no sacrifices anymore. But definitely we can offer prayers and petitions. Now, it may be or may not be with fervent cries and tears. But often when we pray for others with a feeling for them, you know, you can't stop sometimes tears and cries. But definitely, if you don't intercede, you cannot claim the role of being a priest. You know, it is not about performing communion service and conducting funerals. It is about the ability to intercede. And I think it's very important. It's just said about Spurgeon, you know, in the mainline tradition or the main, you know, historical churches, there is a place where there is a pastoral prayer. Apart from the prayers that the priests or the pastors would offer, you know, in their own private life, in the service, there is a slot where the pastor prays. Now, actually, we have outsourced it to a lot of people in the congregation. You know, we have so many different people who come and pray. But the pastoral prayer is supposed to be traditionally pastors. And it is, I grew up in a tradition where my pastor used to actually on a Sunday morning will pray. And uh, Spurgeon says, I don't mind giving my pulpit to anyone, but I will not give the pastoral prayer to anyone. Because that he thought was his role. He wouldn't mind the guest speaker on his pulpit. But he said to pray is he understood a very significant role of being a pastor. Because you as the shepherd is now playing a role of intercession. And I think it is very important for us to understand that every time we intercede, we are playing a very important role of being a priest. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus actually, while he lived on earth, offered prayers and petitions. He may not have offered sacrifices in the temple, but he comes from a totally different order, the order of Melchizedek. Then in chapter five, verse 11, I'm going to skip this passage till verse 12. He says, I want to say this, you know, we have much to say about this. He says in verse 11, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, he says, by now, you ought to be teachers. Very interesting. The writer of Hebrews believes that by now, they all should be teachers. He didn't say some of you should be teachers. And that's the disadvantage sometimes when we think that only some people can be teachers. 
definitely there is a gift some people are called to be teachers like some people are called to be evangelists but all of us are called to share our faith with people we may not be fully like evangelist gifted but definitely all of us have a call and he says by now you ought to be teachers there has to come a time when we are not only receiving but we are also giving and i think it's a very important place to move towards i hope by 2021 end that many of us will just move from that place of being receivers to actually start teaching you know wherever possible and he says by now you ought to be teachers but you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of god's word all over again you need milk and not solid food he's actually grieving that he would like to go in this line talking about deeper things about christ superiority but he said you know but he felt by the time he was talking that these people are going to find it hard to understand not because what he was talking was difficult by now they should have graduated to that level where they can understand but he says you are not growing and then he goes on to talk about some people in fact have left the faith also and then he says i'm going to skip it i'll come back to it later on uh, you know by the end of the study on hebrews because there are quite a few warning passages but then he says in verse 9 that you know even though he says some you know he addressed some people it said they were immature and some people had come to a place that they had walked out on the faith he says but i'm not talking about all of you he says even though we speak like this verse 8 he says dear friends we are convinced of better things in your case the things that have to do with salvation he said not all of you are like that but he said all of you are immature but not all of you are people who have walked away from god is he and he says you you know you have things that have to do with salvation and he says god is not unjust he will not forget your work the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and you continue to help them he says you know god remembers that even though there are times when you have stumbled that god will remember the work that you have done the love you have shown god as you have helped his people and you continue to help them we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized and he says is he, i don't want you to give up that's the main thing of the writer of hebrews because people were ten you know beginning to move towards giving up because things were difficult there was persecution even though none of them had died for the gospel of christ but they were being persecuted and they were being you know scattered so their chances are that they were beginning to fall away so he was writing them to say hey god will not forget all that you have done in the past so hold on we don't want you to become lazy but we want you to imitate who those who through faith and patience have inherited what has been promised is it hold on 
Jesus, our high priest, has gone in to the temple. Don't give up. You know, he's our new high priest. And you know that he has gone before the Father. He's gone before God. And you hold on to, it, to that faith. And God will remember. And then he says, imitate. He says, don't become lazy. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what has been promised. And he gives an example. And in verses 13 onwards, his example is Abraham. And he says, you can look at Abraham. God promised Abraham. And the way that God promised Abraham was that because he, there was nobody else to swear by, God swore on himself. And he swore by himself, he said, saying, I will bless you and give you many descendants. And so Abraham, after waiting patiently, is it received what was promised. You know, a long wait. And he says, you know, this is what we need to, you know, because all these troubles come. You know, these days we find a lot of people, it's very fashionable to walk away from God. And uh, I remember when I was younger, we had the uh, person from, uh, I think it was Bob Hawke the Australian prime minister who was visiting India and, uh, at the, you know, and, and, he, and he said uh, that the reason he walked away from God was when he was a young person, he visited India and many years before that. And he had come to Kerala uh, with the, some student group. And when he saw poverty firsthand, he couldn't believe there can be a God who will allow such injustice. And he said, I walked away in believing in God. And uh, very interesting, you see, that, you know, Bob Hawke walked away in believing in God, he said, because he saw poverty in India. But on the other hand, the people who are poor in India don't seem to walk away from God. You know, there are many people who are non-poor who use the poor as a reason not to believe in God. But the poor themselves, they seem to be accepting that there is a God who will finally reward them for what they are going through in spite of all the difficulties. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is don't give up. And he says, imitate those who have held on. And he says, Abraham is a good example. And definitely is an example which is hard to follow because he held on to a promise even to the ripe old age. You know, occasionally he did waver, but he held on that God will do it. And he says, this is how God works. You can trust God. And he says, therefore, he says, God who makes this promise, he says in verse 18, God made this promise so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. When make, God makes a promise, you know, definitely we can hold on, even in the difficult times we go through. And he says, now we have this hope, he says in verse 19, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It's not a hope that we have that is a concept. He says, now we have this hope, which is now personalized in Jesus himself. 
where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Now he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He says, now we have a high priest, you know, because many times, you know, where when I was growing up, I had a great pastor in the church where I came from. And uh, many people, you know, where, you know, he actually influenced a lot of us. And of course, he moved away from the church uh, pastoral ministry and went on to take a very key role in World Vision International. And he used to come to India very often. And we, people who knew him, you know, you know, made sure that they kept in touch with him. And he had a great memory of uh, people. So whenever he came, he would visit us and wherever we are and keep in touch with us. And for many people, their faith was to some extent, you know, with him in the sense of, uh, you know, personally, Selena and I were very close to him. But I don't think we had that kind of uh, expectation of him. But there were many who, uh, you know, even when there was a wedding in the family, they would invite him to speak. Even he may have to readjust his schedule or they'll had readjust the wedding date so that when he's in India, they can have the wedding. And they believed that his role was very significant. Early this year, he passed away at a you know, very old age. You know, I think he was 83 or 84. Uh, and, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, there is no more, you know, Pastor, you know, Kamalesan, that's what his name was. He's gone. And uh, so what happens for men, some people, their faith is connected to a person. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, we have a great high priest who is right there. And he is now the anchor of our faith. And he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not like other earthly priests, because they have all died and gone, but he has not. And that gives us the assurance. And then in chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, he talks about Melchizedek. Now, who is this Melchizedek? Now, he just gives us a brief uh, picture of who this Melchizedek is. He said Melchizedek was a king of Salem or Shalom and the priest of God most high. Now we don't know much about this Melchizedek. There's only one reference to him in the historical text. There is mention of him like in Hebrews and things like that. But historically we have only one reference. That is when Abraham went out to fight with kings and because he heard that uh, you know his brother-in-law Lot or his nephew Lot was uh, kidnapped. He went after them. He defeated the kings. And he, when he came back, it says in the Old Testament, he was met by Melchizedek. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. It says in verse 2, you know, because when he came from this war with the spoils, he gave him tenth to Melchizedek. Now that's very significant because giving this one tenth you know, was a significant understanding of giving to a priest. So he says, first, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then he was also the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. Now, we don't know anything about him, but his name was Melchizedek, which is righteousness and peace. A very strong, 
two characteristics which talk about god now without father or mother without genealogy without beginning of days or end of life now it doesn't mean melchizedek was eternal he says just that there is no knowledge we have as to who this melchizedek was as far as history is concerned he came and abraham offered to him this tithe part of it or one tenth of it and he has a name that is righteousness and peace and all that we know is that he was a king of selen and he says because of this without you know nay knowledge of who the father was mother was genealogy he resembles the son of god and he is like jesus himself the son of god because he did not have any human origin and he says so melchizedek is a character in history that is higher than most people because he's a king of righteousness and of peace and there's no record of him and abraham offered to him a tenth of what he brought then he says just think how great he was he says in verse 4 even the patriarch even the father abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder now the law requires the descendants of levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people that is from their fellow israelites even though they also are descendant from abraham this man however you know abraham gave him a tenth the law requires you give tenth to the priest now this man abraham was not under law at that time but it's just a practice he's referring to now this man however did not trace his descent to levi yet he collected a tenth from abraham and he blessed him who had the promises and without doubt the lesser is blessed by the greater so he says he was greater than abraham in one case the tenth is collected by people who die but in other case by him who is declared to be living and this is a very unique collection and he says one might even say that the levi who collects the tenth you know the jewish structure where the levi collects the tenth he paid a tenth through abraham because melchizedek met abraham levi was still in the body of his ancestor you know very interesting logic is god he said when abraham offered one tenth in some way you can say that the whole descendants of abraham including levi who actually offered one tenth so it means levi is inferior melchizedek is more than the priests that's what basically he says he says now jesus comes in the line of melchizedek and he said he doesn't come in the line of the other priests who come after aaron's family but he comes from a superior or somebody who is different in the line of melchizedek and then he goes on to say jesus is like melchizedek and therefore he is now when jesus comes he sets aside the entire system of priesthood all that goes you know the worship the sacrifice everything the covenant all those things and this is the most important you know 
transition in the book of Hebrews. He says, when Jesus comes as the great high priest, we have before us something which is totally different from the religion that was at that time. And in fact, very different from all religions. This is why Jesus is unique. He said, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. He says, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He says the entire thing changes. When you say Jesus is the high priest, we have totally revamped everything. Remember Jesus said, this is a new wine. You can't understand it in terms of old wineskins. He says, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah and regard to them, to the, that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. But what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulations as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever. And in the order of Melchizedek, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. He says, Jesus totally changed what religion was. Yes, the religion had priests, law, everything. But once Jesus came, and of course the question would be, but he's not in the line of Aaron. He said, it doesn't matter. He comes in the line of a different order of Melchizedek. And he is now in the Holy of Holies. And he has now set aside the whole thing, the law, with all its weakness. It has been made useless because the law could make nothing perfect. But now God introduced a better hope by which we draw near to God. He says, Jesus made a provision by which we can draw near to God. And you know that later on we'll find that being explained. So let me stop here. And you know, this is where the whole transition happens in Hebrews. From now onwards till the end of chapter 10, he basically says, you know, when we look to Jesus, we have something that is totally different from what religion provides. Because now we have access to the most holy place. You know, so when we kneel down or when we sit and pray or whatever it is, we suddenly are transported into the most holy place where God is seated. He says, this is different. You know, early religions never allowed. They blocked people from entering into the Holy of Holies. But with Jesus, now we know that we have a confidence to go before God. A totally different way of doing things. Not only before God, the law could not make us perfect. 
But he said, now Jesus has come. He has now set aside everything so that in us, we are being transformed and being made perfect. Because earlier, the sacrifice could not clean us. But now we are being made blameless. You know, a whole lot of things happen because of Jesus. No wonder the writer of Hebrews would say, Jesus is superior. And the sad part is that over the last 2,000 years, I think we as a church have reverted back into institutionalizing everything that Jesus came to dismantle. And, uh, but there, are, or there has always been a stream all through history. Somebody called it the third wave, you know, not in terms of COVID, but always there has been an alternate group which has sought a religious uh, relationship with God and not something which is a religion based. And because religion gives, makes us feel secure, but religion doesn't enable us to actually build a relationship with God. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.